It's not unusual to find plenty of wine caves and wine cellars in wine country. What is unusual is discovering a sophisticated broadcast facility inside these well-protected and often top-secret chambers. But maybe it really isn't that surprising that America's number one wine broadcast originates from the soul of wine country. And it is our great privilege to do all we can to inspire you. If you drink wine simply because, well, it's a drink, we've got our work cut out. For literally thousands of years, wine has fueled celebrations, ended conflicts, and provided the ultimate connection between one human being and another. It makes food taste better, lifts spirits, sparks our imagination, and beckons us to slow down and love life. If that all sounds good to you, you're in the right place. So sit back, clear your head, put any worries you have on hold, and join us as we go in search of this week's Grape Encounter. But be warned, we speak a much different language than what you typically experience in most wine-centric environments. But you didn't come here because you're ordinary, did you? Good, because your host, David Wilson, is here to take you far, far away from the beaten path. Here's David. I think I am now in week eight of shelter in place. And frankly, I've been having as good a time as you can have when you're stuck in one place for a really, really long time. Been really working a lot in the kitchen, perfecting recipes and cleaning house and shampooing carpets. You name it, I've been doing it. It's been very constructive. And I will say it's been peaceful too. But I know we all want to get out as quickly as possible. But you're not leaving just yet. Most of you aren't. So I promised about eight weeks ago that during this time that we're in quarantine that we would just get into some more interesting topics, go a little further off the wall, incorporate some discussion of food. And this week, I have a theme, which is women in wine and other stuff. And to qualify to be on the show this week, you have to both make wine, but be doing something that is not wine, that is also pretty interesting. So my first guest today definitely fits the bill. She's Jennifer Reichert. She owns a brand called Raft Wines, but is also part of the family business, which, believe it or not, raises ducks, Liberty Ducks. Hey, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I love that intro. I think they need to put that as my outgoing voicemail message. You can do that, but I get a royalty every time it's played, okay? There you go, there you go. You know what, else? how about this? For every 20 times it's played, I get a duck breast. Fair oh, enough? okay. All right. That's a fair trade. That's a fair trade. What's more expensive, a duck breast or the most inexpensive wine that you make? Um, the duck breast actually is more expensive. I know. It's really costly, huh? <laughs> well, I'm trying to make affordable wine to go with that duck breast. So I guess if you got just a single one, then it would be less. But we sell them in packs of two or four, and those just tip the scale just over my least expensive well, wine. Well, this is such an interesting pairing of careers because... I mean, first of all, I have to admit that I am a duck junkie. I don't think there's any other meat that I like better than duck. It's delicious. A lot of people don't understand duck. They say, oh, it's too fatty and all this stuff. That's because you don't know how to cook it. Yeah. Because if you cook it right, you can make it really, really super lean. And the taste is just not to be believed. 
But I just want to talk uh, briefly, Jennifer, about how you got to the place that you're at right now. You're in Sonoma County, seriously, one of the foodie and wino capitals of the world. Like so totally laid back, though, compared to its sister county, Napa. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you guys are like, <laughs> now don't, don't do that. I know what you're going to do. Don't do that. We love you all equally. But yeah. Sonoma feels sort of like it's stuck in time a little bit in certain respects. It does. Right? Yeah. I always feel like we're like the cool uncle over here. You know, you just want to like come and hang out and enjoy yourself. I grew up here in Sonoma County and I don't think I fully appreciated how wonderful it was. And so I left and I actually went to school closer to where you are. I went to UC Santa Barbara. Um, Also a very beautiful place, but I really felt that I was home the most in Sonoma County. Well, frankly, I would rather have a little two, three bedroom farmhouse out amongst the vines in Sonoma as opposed to one of those $80 million homes <laughs> the likes of which house people like Oprah Winfrey. And she lives there. Right. Yeah, she lives there. She there does. A bunch of fancy pants people living there. So Sonoma is definitely down to earth. The duck business is something that your family has done for a lot of generations, as I understand it. Yeah, yeah. I'm technically speaking a fifth-generation duck farmer. We started raising ducks in South San Francisco in 1901, and then my dad split off in 1992 to start what is now known as Liberty Duck. So while our family focuses on Chinatown ducks, he split off to focus on kind of that farm-to-table European-style duck. So they're a little bigger, a little meatier. We raise them a little bit longer. So I've been back with him full-time in the business since 2016, but I feel like I've always been a part of it. You know, I have memories as a kid with my younger brother folding statements and stuffing envelopes and getting, you know, 10 cents an envelope. And then when I got my license, I was a delivery driver, you know, making up deliveries here and there. So always have been a big part of my life every day. So what made you expand your career beyond ducks and get into the winemaking pond. Oh, I like it. The pond. The pond was looked inviting. Um, no, but when I graduated school, I knew that I wanted to be in food and wine, but I just really didn't know in what capacity. And my plan originally was to come back to the Bay Area and work in a restaurant. I didn't do that right away. I went away to France. I worked on a in a bed and breakfast, and then I came back home, and then I worked on a nursery of doing organic uh, vegetable starts. And then I saved up enough money, and I went to New Zealand. And in New Zealand, I met this girl from Sonoma who had just finished a wine harvest, and we were in the middle of nowhere. So it was very serendipitous that we met. And she said, you know, we grew up in very similar backgrounds. I think you would like this. So I immediately came home and I started applying to wine internships. And lo and behold, she was right. And nine years later, here I am with a wine brand and a duck farm. <laughs> wow, it is so colorful to begin with. And I'm glad that you did not get into the food service industry because this would not be a good time for you right now. It's not. You know, and and as a duck farm, we're directly related to the food service. We've sold about 95% to restaurants directly. So it definitely... 
definitely we've had a big hit because of that. You know, we have some customers still doing takeout, but we pivoted very quickly to sell to retail. So we've been growing that and expanding that. So are people catching on? Because one thing that's really interesting about the shelter in place, and I said it early on in this conversation that I've really been working on my cooking. And I, I hear this from so many people that they're cooking practically every meal. They're getting back down to basics. Mm -hmm. They're going back to their hobbies and their crafts and that sort of thing. So it would seem to me that if people knew that they could get, I'm going to call them gourmet ducks. Can I do that? Gourmet, you know, (laughs) a really high quality duck and it could be delivered to them. I would think that would be something to put on the menu. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's been really fun, like, uh, you know, duck confit, for example. It's a very time-consuming dish to make, and most people, the way that we're living our lives now, wouldn't have time to do that. Right. But now that they're home, you know, we we get emails and calls asking if we have that already prepared, and we don't because we don't have it. everything that we sell is just the raw product. But right. I actually, on our website, put a DIY confit kit, and it comes with the raw fat and the raw legs and you just get to learn how to do it yourself. Wow. <laughs> so it's this fun opportunity, you know, for people to learn a new skill. Very cool. Now, a couple of questions about ducks and I, I have to talk about my duck fetish in the next segment. We won't do it right <laughs> now, but I raised ducks when I was a kid. The purpose was for meat, but I fell in love with my ducks. If you have one duck, they imprint on you like a dog would and it's really fun and they follow you around, but you start getting more more and more, you start getting as many as we have, and they want nothing to do with you. Really? But that whole saying, like the sitting duck and being vulnerable, that is a real thing. I've watched sometimes these ducks not really realize the eminent threat. <laughs> so that's not necessarily a well, good th- thing. Well, think, but... ab- think about pigs for a second. You know, they get to eat, eat, and eat, and eat until they explode. And they're going, man, this is heaven. <laughs> yeah. Until the guy comes into the pig pen and says, uh, uh, come with me, sir. Right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> hey, listen, we're going to take, take a break for a second, Jennifer. We're talking to Jennifer Reichardt. She is the owner, founder of Raft Wines. You can find the wines at raftwines.com, and uh, she works with Dad at Liberty Ducks. I don't understand the Liberty. Liberty is, you know, to me, getting liberated, and these ducks are getting uh, obliterated. (laughs) So maybe it also sends a message to the ducks that keeps them calm. Oh, you're liberated. You don't have to (laughs) go forage for food. You can have all you want right here. All right, we're going to come back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Stick with me. And we're going to get a little deeper into this discussion with Jennifer Reichert from Raft Wines and Liberty Ducks when we return with Grape Encounters Radio. There was a time not so long ago when our wine choices were a mere fraction of what they are today, which means the possible conversations we can have about wine are endless. That's why it's imperative that we pace ourselves Take a break now and then and give the folks who make Grape Encounters possible an opportunity to share the amazing things they're doing. David will be right back. David is back. And from the look of things, he's as revved up and as ready as a rodeo bull with an unwanted cowboy on his back. Hmm, bad metaphor. After all, the chances of keeping your wine in the glass while a bull is trying to 86 you from the party 
are slim to none. If you ever come over to my house, and I hope you will someday, you will see two things in a lot of the rooms in the house. The first is wine, because I do a wine show, and so wine is around. It's everywhere, right? But the other thing you're going to see in my house is ducks in the form of figurines. Now, I'm not one of those dust-collecting collectors, but I've traveled the world a lot, and I found that when you go into gift shops and art stores in just about any country in the world, you'll find little duck figurines, and they're all different. So I started collecting them because I love ducks. And somebody else who loves ducks in a very different way is our friend Jennifer Reichert. And she not only works with her dad with Liberty Ducks, but also started a brand called Raft Wines. And Jennifer, I want to get into Raft Wines for a second because one of the things that I recognize as far as the varietals that you're doing you're getting off the main path quite a bit and getting into some things that people don't necessarily see a lot of, wines like Kunwa. Yeah. Is that something that you aspire to do to introduce lesser known varietals to the rest of the world? Yeah, I've been really inspired by people like Hardy Wallace of Dirty and Rowdy. You know, he started yeah. a wine brand that's Morvedra and Semion. That's pretty much all he makes. And I think 20 years ago, that would have been really hard to do, even maybe 10 years ago and when he was just getting started. So it's been really fun to kind of watch people kind of directly above me reach out to some of these lesser known varietals. You know, the grapes have been planted forever, but they've often been blended away into red blends and big bulk productions and all that. So it's cool to kind of separate them all out and introduce them. I myself had never even heard of Kunwa's until I showed up at the vineyard and it's the same vineyard where I make my Viognier from and yeah. I was touring it for the first time and they said, hey, do you want some Kunwa's this year too? We have some extra. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it's been so fun. And now there's a little Kunwa's contingency of people who are making single varietal and talking about it and sharing it. So it wasn't necessarily intentional, but I've been championed and supported by the consumer to find those unique things. Okay, so one thing that I think really stands out as I look at the way you present your wines and you offer them in sampler packs, and what I notice is you are much more in tune with the millennials and Gen Xers than the rest of the wine world. And this has been a problem because we've been seeing that younger people coming into the wine marketplace aren't as excited about wines in the way that older generations were. But what we also know is that they are a generation about discovery, wanting to try new things and, yeah. and and get into something that's off the beaten path. Is that something that you're doing intentionally or is it just because you're one of them? <laughs> I am one of them. I'm I a know. true millennial. I was born in 1988, so oh, I am like grief. right smack in the middle of it. Yeah. But I think for me... My background when I was learning how to make wine, I worked for some of the most amazing and incredible Pinot Noir and Chardonnay producers in California. And I love their wines and I drink them as often as I can, but ultimately they're not very affordable. So I really wanted to make wines that my peers could afford. And by peers, those are often the millennials, that dirty word. 
So for me, I try to take those principles, kind of that in pursuit of balance was the the big thing a couple of years ago, the lower alcohol, higher acidity mantra and apply it towards grape varietals that were affordable. And what is affordable is a lot of Rhone varietals, a lot of Italian varietals, things that are a little off the beaten path. And so it just sort of organically kind of materialized. And I'm focusing on organically farmed vineyard. It doesn't have to be certified, but definitely wanting to work with people who are, you know, paying attention, who wanted to kind of go back to the earth. I have one vineyard that actually gets no spray at all whatsoever throughout the growing season. So like, you know, as a grower and as a producer taking that risk, but she has endangered coho salmon that spawn on the creek next to the vineyard. Awesome. We have to save the coho. I got to jump in because we only have a couple of minutes left. I just want to ask you about the relationship between the wine business and the duck business. Are some of the wines that you're making inspired by duck on the table? Absolutely. So the original idea was that all the wines that I was making were going to be able to go with a duck dish of some sort. So in my mind, the Viognier that I make, you know, you could put that with like a spicy kind of Asian style duck or a taco even. And then, you know, gearing up towards the Syrahs, like that more traditional, maybe like French preparation of a sliced duck breast on a plate with, you know, salt and pepper. So kind of hoping to have a a spot for everything. And I've done duck dinners where start to finish, every course had duck in it and every wine was a raft wine. And it's been so much fun. Wow. Did you have like duck dessert? I have done duck dessert before. A lot of times with those dinners, people will do like duck egg in something. We don't have eggs ourselves, but they'll get duck eggs from another producer. The craziest duck dessert I ever did, though, we're friends with Devero Winery here in Sonoma County, and they used to do these amazing summer suppers and always had a duck one every summer. And I did a Oaxacan-themed one, and I did a homemade ice cream with duck tongue that I had candied uh, with sugar and some of their wine, and no, I put it on top. <laughs> no, that's wrong. That's wrong. It was duck. so good because it was just like this crunchy, crispy oh. bite that you could barely tell. But we oh, like to use, you know, no, it's a big thing to be harvesting a life for consumption. And it's something that we, we definitely take very seriously. So we strive to utilize every last part. And so we did okay. it in that dinner. <laughs> okay. Well, that's right up there with Rocky Mountain Oysters, though, I got to say. <laughs> So we just have literally one minute left, but I wanted to tell you that I am going to do something fun in the next week or two. We had on Chef Rick Moonen, who's just this world-famous celebrity chef, and I'm going to have him guide me in the preparation of duck, and then we're going to pair it with your wines. So we're going to place an order with you, okay? I like that. Orders are good. (laughs) We're going to place an order with you. We'll get some duck. We'll get some wine. And then we'll talk about it. Because if you're really having fun in the kitchen, you got to do some duck. Done right, it's the most delicious thing. Now, Jennifer, I hate to tell you, but we got to wrap it up here. I want to tell people that you've got some wonderful packs, four-pack, six-pack, 12-pack, that have a variety of wines in them. I'm going to tell you the price is really right on these. How quickly can you get those to somebody if they order? I can ship it out within a day or two. Okay, awesome. So the website to order the wines is raftwines.com? That's it. So raft, R-A-F-T, wines.com. And then the duck website is? LibertyDucks.com. 
with an S. (laughs) Well, listen, you know what? It has been absolutely a gas talking to you. really has. And I wish you the best of luck as we go through this terrible period of time. But so fun talking to you, Jennifer Riker. You as well. And we're going to have you back on when we do a little duck preparation, okay? I love it. Yes, I can be the uh, assist, the sous chef for chef. You got it. Hey, coming up next, it's going to be Shannon Austin from Arizona Hops and Vines. So she does wine and then they grow hops as well. That's coming up next on Grape Encounters Radio. Three times an hour, we pause for a couple of minutes so that we can pass the microphone over to the wonderful people who support our weekly wine conversations. They make this show very special, so please give them your undivided attention. If you don't, we may decide not to share the good stuff with you. We'll be back before you know it. We're back with more Grape Encounters. Hey, please do us an enormous favor and like us on Facebook. It's the very best way to learn about other opportunities that we may not share on the broadcast. Also, join our mailing list on GrapeEncounters.com. Listeners on our contact list receive some exclusive opportunities. Become an insider. Enough said. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. And now I'm going to bring on a guest who is making wine and doing some other interesting things as well in a wine region that we don't talk about very much. And it's a shame that we don't because this particular place is making some extraordinary wines and they're really not getting the credit that they deserve. I'm talking about the state of Arizona. If you've not had Arizona wines, try them. You're going to find a lot of really good wines from there. We're going to welcome now Shannon Austin. She and her sister operate Arizona Hops and Vines. And Shannon, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, very good to have you. What I love about this story is, uh, well, there are three things. The first is that you're in Arizona, as I mentioned before, because, you know, people don't necessarily equate Arizona to wine. The second is that you guys are a female-owned winery. It's not that it's all that uncommon, but certainly it's not the most common thing. And then the third thing is you are doing some amazingly creative events. I hope you're going to be able to pull most of them off. I know that's really a big question mark right now, but let's start with the winery, Arizona Hops and Vines, and it's Senoida, Arizona. Maybe you could give us a little geography lesson to begin with and then tell me how the heck you guys wound up there. Yes. So basically, Senoida is really close to the southern border. We're probably the most south town coming out of Tucson right there. We're sandwiching between Sierra Vista and Nogales, which is um, the port of entry into Mexico, Nogales. And Sierra Vista is basically a home to one of the oldest western ports in the U.S., Fort Ochuca. So we're kind of in the middle of this cattle country. And about 35 years ago, a soil scientist was doing a survey of the state for the University of Arizona 
and found the soil was similar to Burgundy, France. So he thought, well, I wonder how grapes would do here. And he planted them around the state and grapes just did amazingly well because we're at about 5,000 feet elevation. Oh, are you kidding? We, You're that high up? Really? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. You don't notice that. Yeah. You basically coming out of Tucson, heading down south, you'll all of a sudden notice the terrain changes. It goes from like cacti and desert plants to all of a sudden like rolling green hills. It almost looks like Central Coast, California. Hey, so. that's where I am. Exactly. I guess if you go to the eastern part of the Central Coast, that would be right. And that actually was cattle ranches for a really long time until they realized they could grow great grapes there. But there was a lot of fertilizer in the soil, Shannon. Yeah. <laughs> by, by uh, that same time. here. <laughs> so who landed in Sonoida first? Was it you, your sister, both of you? It was my sister. So we both grew up in Southern California and we both always kind of toyed with the idea of someday, like everybody, getting into the wine industry. And we started out obviously as consumers and we just had all these ideas and schemes and they were more event and sales driven unless the production and growing element of it. But my sister moved out to Tucson because her husband at the time was a border patrol agent from San Diego. So they moved out here and her youngest children were going off to school and she volunteered to do harvest a winery down here, the oldest winery in the state, and just fell in love with the viticulture aspect of it, which I was like, thank God, because that took me out of that equation. I definitely like to be indoor and sales. So she fell in love with the farming part of it and just embraced the area. And I, at the time, was living in Washington, D.C. And she's like, just think about it. We could have our winery here. It's not cost prohibitive. It's up and coming. And I flat out was like, no, because I imagine cacti and rattlesnakes and tarantulas. And I wasn't feeling it until I flew <laughs> right, out. Yeah. And and yeah, I was like, no, thanks. But when I came out, it was so beautiful. It was, like I said, Central Coast, just gorgeous. And during the summertime, all the grasses and the grassland turned green because we get these big monsoons. And so I loved it. I fell in love instantly. And I basically planned to move out the following year. And we planted and began this journey. So how many acres do you have planted right now? Right now, we're a tiny little winery. We have a 10-acre spot in Sonoida, and we have about six and a half acres planted, which is so little. So we obviously have to get fruit from other vineyards. And the other vineyards in the area, and there's like 20 or so right where we are, and there's a ton in Wilcox. We get a lot of fruit from them. We literally go out and pick the fruit half the time with the crows. Okay, so something very interesting about the name. Your name is Arizona Hops and Vines. So yes. we're talking ingredients to make beer. Do you make beer or just grow hops there? Well, that is an interesting and complicated story. Okay. So in the beginning, my sister called me up one day. She's like, what if we plant hops for beer? She's like, no one's growing in. Let's just try it. And I was like, okay. And she's a beer girl. So I was going to defer to her on that one. And then we thought we'll call ourselves Hops and Vines. And then thinking we would just be able to produce both. It wasn't going to be an issue. However, as we we're going through the application process, we found out there's a state law prohibiting the production of beer and wine in the same facility. And whereas, you know, like in other states, it's not an issue at all. So we don't necessarily accept no. Well, we just think, well, that doesn't apply to us. <laughs> okay. We'll figure out a way around it. Yeah. And that's kind of the way we approached it. We planted it. And then as we're trying to get open, every little scheme we came up with, like a step or a separate address or a separate entry, 
they were shutting down quickly. They're like, that's not going to happen. So we moved forward with just opening the winery. And about a year after we've been open, the Arizona Republic, which is the biggest paper in the state, said, hey, can we do a story on your struggle of getting the hops going? And we're like, sure. Not thinking much about it, thinking it's going to be a tiny little paragraph. And it was a three-page spread. And it got the attention of state lawmakers and some lobbyists. And they reached out to us instantly. And we're like, let's get the law changed. No kidding. So you ended up being a big news story and you had no idea. No idea. It didn't even occur to us that that was going to easily happen. So we did get the law changed. However, it Getting the actual license to brew has been more difficult due to the fact that we just kind of struggled with the county because it's an up and coming region compared to California, which is established and you guys have all the laws in place and you know how to deal with them. They were kind of handling things as they came. So they'd say, sure, sure, you could do it, but you have to do this first. And then we do that. And they're like, well, actually, you don't have to do that. Now you have to do this. And it was literally still like ratifying health codes and stuff like that in terms of the wine industry. So we've had faced more of a struggle getting our actual brewery license. And in the meantime, we just started hopping a wine. So it's a wine dressed up like a beer, and we call it the Drag Queen. And we've had a fun (laughs) event that kind of came about because of that. I could have swore you just said you call it the Drag Queen. Yes. A wine dressed up like a beer. Oh, a wine (laughs) dressed up like a beer. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. You guys have a good sense of humor. I can tell just by looking at your roster of events. And we're going to dig into that in just a second. We are talking to Shannon Austin. She and her sister, Megan, started Arizona Hops and Vines. And I'll tell you what, if you want to see a roster of really cool, fun events that aren't the same old, same old, and you know, I, I start to get a little irritable when I see wineries all doing the same stupid food and wine pairings. Can we please get more creative? I'm always saying that. And then I come across Arizona Hops and Vines, and you guys got it going on. This photograph that you have posted on your website, it is uh, you and your sister and a whole bunch of kids, like a gazillion of them. It's like an entire grade school there. The idea of going out to really what is the Old West, and it's still the Old West there, is it not? Oh, yeah. We're 30 minutes away from Tombstone, so it absolutely is. We had to introduce the local cowboys to our drag queens when we had our drag races. (laughs) That was a real eye-opener. And those a million kids you refer to, my sister has three kids and I have three. And they are the reason we drink and also our workforce. (laughs) So it's definitely a family, family affair. The reason you drink is the kids. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. How's this uh, sheltering in place going for you? Well, as most Americans, I've um, increased my alcohol consumption. I definitely find the concept of a homeschooling as well as the person just keeping everyone on their schedule a big inspiration for wine research. And I'm definitely (laughs) drinking local and small business, small wineries. Oh, my gosh. I thought I had a dry sense of humor. But, Shannon, you just throw one-liners at me. It takes me a second to realize you are pulling my leg. But anyway, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of those events and your wines and the state of things in Arizona. You with me? Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. We're going to be back with more Grape Encounters and Shannon Austin from Sonoita, Arizona at Arizona Hops and Vines. We're going to return in just a couple of minutes.
So for the 12 years that I've been doing Grape Encounters Radio, I have heard every conceivable story about how people go from one career and wind up in the winemaking business. But this particular story about Arizona hops and vines and the Austin sisters, it's so interesting because they're not growing grapes and making wine in Napa or Sonoma or Central Coast of California, Bordeaux. It's in a place where most people have never been. Is that fair to say, Shannon? Yeah, I absolutely think we're just getting our moment in the light. Tucson, and we're about 45 minutes south of Tucson, just became a city of gastronomy, a UNESCO city of gastronomy. And honestly, because of the horrible fires in Napa and California, there's a lot more California winemakers coming out here and looking at property. So I think people are getting more aware of the area. And there's a lot of award-winning wines coming out of the area that are getting national and international attention. So it's exciting. We're up and coming. This is really the high plains, right? Oh, yeah. This is not a place that's full of spas and jacuzzis. No, it's definitely not. And there's moments of it where I laugh now, but there are moments where I found myself in crazy situations like going to Purna Vine and a tarantula be on it. And I'm like, what in the heck? How did this happen? <laughs> there's no doubt Napa and winemaking in Soma is hard and a struggle. But I think there's this extra added layer of like grit that we have in Arizona. And I jokingly say all the time, Arizona is where the true pioneers are. I say that because there's all these creative people out here that aren't necessarily bound by the same rules and tradition. And so it's cool. It's exciting to be part of, see how things are evolving. We push the envelope. Now I take it, Shannon, that you are not a princess. No, (laughs) no. (laughs) If you were a princess, I imagine that farming in Sonoida and growing grapes for the first time and hops as well and making wine will take you out of that princess category and straighten you up real quick, right? Oh, for sure. The things that I could add to my resume, including like being able to clear a disgusting leech line with my hands after we cut through it. But a lot of our adventures and things that we didn't necessarily know how to do have cool stories. Shannon, we could talk all day, but I want to talk about some of your events because we only have a couple of minutes. So give me like your four favorite events. Sure. So the first one I would describe would be Grape Crush, which is what every winery does. People come out and put crushed grapes. However, ours have evolved into a like grape throwing contest. So oh, no. girls come in white dresses. Yeah, they come in white dresses and they leave covered in grapes and grape juice. <laughs> hey. So that one took a turn. We also have Death the Halls, which we call a Bean Crosby alcohol-soaked traditional Christmas. And what we do is pair wine with Christmas cookies. And people wear ugly Christmas sweaters. And we release our glue wine. And we have fun with that one. Um, we also have the drag races, our wine just with a good beer, and we use that opportunity to benefit like a um, LGBT foundation out here, and we let drag queens foot race up the driveway, which is always a good time. No, no, wait a second though. Drag queens, are there many drag queens in Sonoida, or do you have to import them? Well, we import them. They come from Tucson, usually in Phoenix, but they are all into it. They volunteer, and they come out, and they make the event amazing. 
And watching a drag queen race up a hill in her heels is a good time, I promise. So so they have to wear their heels when they race. Yes. And like guys just come to do it. It's like an athletic endeavor now. We make them race in heels too and they learn how difficult heels can be. And how many people actually turn out for that? How many participants and how many people come watch it? Usually watching it's somewhere around like four to five hundred. Oh wow. And then yeah, and then there's at least probably like fifteen contestants, athletes. Okay. So it's entertaining. You've got to send us some photographs of that and we'll post them on the website, okay? Absolutely. All right. We got time for one more and I'm hoping it's going to be Bad Decisions Camp Out. It is. Okay, go. (laughs) So Bad Decisions is our biggest event. It's now been moved to a lake, but it's a beer, bacon, wine, chocolate, and cheese. (laughs) And it's during a meteor shower and it's in the summertime, so it's August, which is actually a beautiful time out here. And it's, like I said, 3,000 people making bad decisions. And we forced them to sign a contract saying we're not responsible for any babies in nine months. We're not responsible (laughs) for any bad decisions they make at the event. It's a good time. Uh, We take the pretension out of, yeah, winery. So this sounds like it's got at least a little hint of Burning Man. Oh, that's what they say. When we first did it, the local paper said it's a cross between Coachella and Burning Man. That's an interesting cross for sure. I hate to say it, Shannon. We have literally just scratched the surface. So I'm going to propose something to you. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. I propose that you guys invite me to come out there, at least for bad decisions, if it does happen this year. I know a lot of this stuff is up in the air, right, at this point? Yeah. We're hoping it does happen. It's out in the campgrounds. We're hoping everything will be gradually getting back to normal. So we absolutely will invite you. You could be the mayor of bad decisions. I would like to be the mayor. Awesome. Yeah. This might be a challenge. I've got all... You're going to have to... (laughs) I'll even wear a holster with... Actually, they're going to be squirt guns shooting wine, okay? You will be the perfect mayor, yes. (laughs) Combining the Old West and alcohol and bad decisions. So you are nominated and invited. Okay, awesome. Well, listen, we're going to have you back on sometime real soon. We're going to cover more of this stuff. Like I said, we were only able to scratch the surface now. But I just thought it was a fun story. And folks, while you're hunkered down and in quarantine, not able to leave your house This is a really good time to start researching wineries and wine adventures that aren't the same old thing. That's why I salute you, Shannon, and your sister, Megan, for not only taking on a project that most people would not take on to begin with, but then also making it just barrels of fun. It really, really speaks volumes about the creativity that you exude, and I'm guessing that it shows up in the wine. It does. It absolutely does. All right. For more information, the website is azhopsandvines.com, right? Yep, that's it. Check us out. Now, when will you know which events are going to go forward and which aren't? Well, I guess that's an impossible question to answer, but is that something that will be posted on your website or should should they find you on Facebook? Facebook and Instagram we're super active on. And as far as the state level goes, the governor is going to make decisions I think with next week. So we'll have a better idea of what we're going to do and what okay. we're able to do responsibly and just keep it, keep as much going that we can without right. risking anybody's health. Well, I mean, that comes first. So the decision to do this will be based on how safely it can be done. Otherwise, 
it's a go, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Hey, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters today. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you. Thanks. Stay guys, safe. Yeah, check these guys out and let's start exploring the things that we're going to do when we get our get out of jail free card. <laughs> okay. We'll be back next week with another Grape Encounter or two. So we'll talk to you then. 